Okay, let's open in prayer before we finish up this session. Gracious God, thank you for dinner and sweet fellowship around the table. Father, as we finish up this session tonight, would you work in our hearts to give us a deep desire to be in your word, to spend time with you in prayer, and to be faithfully involved in our local church. Would you help us to see these things as you see them, as rich treasures bestowed upon us by a loving Father who gives his children the best gifts. Again, Lord, guard my tongue that only your will would be done here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We ended earlier with the knowledge that we must train our hearts to default to Scripture. But we also must train them to default to prayer. As believers, God has called us into relationship with Him. Think of the person in your life that you're closest to. What would your relationship with that person be like if you never spoke to them? What would it be like if you never devoted any time to spend with them one-on-one? -on -one? Would you really even know that person? Would there really be any relationship at all? Building a relationship requires time and communication. Building a relationship with God requires those same two things. So how do we communicate with God? Remember this morning when I said that Hebrews is all about, this is Jesus, now persevere? Or because of who Jesus is and what he has done, let us persevere? That it's a book of fact followed by encouragement or exhortation? We see this idea clearly in the hortatory passages in the letter of Hebrews. It's the looking back and then the moving forward idea. I want to draw your attention to an example of what this looks like. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we see references to Jesus as our high priest. Chapter 7 compares the priesthood of Jesus Christ with the Levitical priesthood, showing the superiority of Christ. The author tells us in verse 19 of chapter 7, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. We have a better hope that enables us to draw near to God. What is that hope? In the Old Testament, inside the tabernacle and the temple, were the holy place and the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies. These two sections were separated by a heavy curtain called a veil. Only the high priest was allowed to go beyond the veil, and then he was only allowed to go beyond it once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people. It was a big deal for him to pass beyond the veil into God's presence. 
And the instructions for how he was to do that were quite specific. When Jesus died on the cross, three of the Gospels tell us that the veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies was torn in two from top to bottom, indicating that direct access to the presence of God was now available for all believers. The writer of Hebrews tells us that when Christ appeared as our high priest, he entered once for all, once for all time into the holy place, and not by the blood of animals, but by his own blood, thus securing for us an eternal redemption. That's Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. So that better hope that we have, that hope that allows us to draw near to God, it isn't a what, it's a who. It's Jesus. The author of Hebrews is saying, this is who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He is our high priest. And through the sacrifice of his own blood, he has opened up the way for us to draw near to God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 reads, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and help in our time of need that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Do we need mercy? Are we ever in need of grace? Yes, absolutely. Every one of us, every minute of every day. So how do we draw near the throne of grace? We draw near in prayer. And this passage says that we can draw near with confidence. Where does that confidence come from? It comes through the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Because of Jesus and what he has done for us, let us draw near to God. Jesus opened the way for us to come boldly, with confidence, into the very throne room of God through prayer. What a gift! What a blessing for us! Why then do many of us find cultivating a deep and consistent prayer life so difficult? The Bible talks about people crying out in prayer, wrestling in prayer, striving in prayer, and laboring earnestly in prayer. Prayer is work. 
and it's hard. We see in scripture that it was important to Jesus, and so it must be important to us. The importance of prayer is one of the things that can make it so hard to do. In his book, Reaching the Ear of God, Wayne Mack says, the closer we get to what is most important, what brings us most spiritual power, the more opposition we're going to get from the devil, the world, and our own flesh. The stakes are highest when we do that which is most important. There's an old saying that Satan trembles when he sees a believer on his knees. Prayer is spiritual warfare, and that will never be easy. Billy Sunday said, if you are a stranger to prayer, you are a stranger to power. Our strength and power for the battles we fight come from the Lord. Paul tells us that in Galatians 6.10. He says that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Our fight is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan and his demons. He tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. The armor of God includes the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, among other things. Then he says in 618, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert with perseverance. As we persevere in prayer for ourselves and others, we stand firm in the power of God to fight the evil around us. When we stand firm, that is perseverance. For those of you that did the, <coughs> excuse me, the Daniel precept study with us two years ago, you might remember in chapter 10 of that book, Daniel has a vision. And the angel says to him, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The angel was dispatched to work on Daniel's behalf as a direct result of Daniel's prayer. He goes on to describe, to describe a battle that's being waged in the unseen realm. The Christian life is a race, but it is also warfare. It's a battle. We fight the demonic realm with God's word and through prayer. Satan will oppose us in this battle. And he often does that through distracting us from that which is most important. Prayer is important, and therefore there will always be times when it is hard. In the digital age that we find ourselves in, I think it's harder than ever. Many of us live life chained to, chained to multiple devices that are designed to make life easier. 
they actually rob us of any time to just simply think. Therefore, when we get still and quiet to try to pray, we find our brains firing in every direction simply because we haven't had any downtime. Do you ever find yourself confessing sins to the Lord or praying for someone and then all of a sudden you're mentally adding things to your grocery list? Or maybe your wandering mind goes to your schedule for the day, your kids' activities, or what you're going to fix for dinner that night. We can spend two minutes praying and then ten following a random rabbit trail of thought. We have trained our brains to always be on overload. We have no idea how to be still and know anymore. Prayer can be hard because we've trained ourselves to be easily distracted. I want to give you an idea for cutting the distractions during your prayer time. And that would be to pray with a list. Your list can be as simple or as extensive as you need it to be. It can be of the pen and paper variety, or if you're disciplined with how you use your smart devices, it might be a digital list. There are apps that you can download for that specific purpose. My husband uses one called PrayerMate. There are advantages and disadvantages to each of these types of lists. You have to find what works best for you. The advantage to having the list on your phone is that it's always with you. As soon as you tell somebody you'll pray for them, you can call up your list and add them to it so that you don't end up forgetting later. A better idea might be to pray for them right then and right there. Another advantage, though, of your phone is you can spend those moments when you're waiting to pick up a child or waiting for an appointment or waiting on whatever to pull out your phone and pray through your list. Some of us, however, are not very disciplined with our devices, and as soon as we pull out our phones, we're distracted by all of the other things that we could be doing with it in that time. There's that distraction thing working against us again. So it might be more beneficial for some of us to go old school with our prayer time and stick to pen and paper. If you were at our last retreat, you probably recall the prayer journals that we made. We took a simple lined notebook and divided it into sections with different headings. Organizing our requests before the Lord means that we have a plan for prayer. And with a plan, we are more likely to actually pray. Just like there are many ways or processes that we could use to study our Bible, there are many methods or helps that you can use in your prayer time. We, when we made our prayer journals, we used the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, to separate the pages. ACTS is one way, just one way to organize your prayer time. The letters stand for adoration, which is worshiping and praising God for who He is. Confession, that's obvious, confessing our sins to God. Thanksgiving also should be obvious, giving thanks to God for what He has done and what He will do, which we're commanded time and again in Scripture to do, 
But honestly, we, most of us really aren't very good at it. And then supplication, which is requesting God's help for ourselves and others. The idea is to pray through each section in your time with God. This is a, a great method to follow, but prayer doesn't have to be that formal. We don't need to frame our prayers perfectly for God to hear us. He hears us even if we pr pray simply and plainly. Jesus said in Matthew 6 verses 7 and 8, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Prayer is not about saying specific words in a specific order. It's about intentionally communicating with our faithful Father, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Keeping a list is also a great way to keep track of answered prayer. When you see God answer a specific prayer, make a note of it. Put a date on it. Praise Him for it. And then when you're discouraged or tempted to question in the future whether or not God is hearing you, you can look back at His faithfulness in the past and be encouraged that He does hear and He will answer in His timing. We're commanded to pray, not because God depends on it, but because we do. Not because He is needy, but because we are so desperately so. C.S. Lewis understood this when he wrote, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Prayer is expressed helplessness. The last few years I've seen a meme floating around social media that's meant to be discouraging, but it's biblically wrong. The meme says, you've got this and God's got the rest. Um, no. God has it all. Without Him, we are completely helpless. Luke 18.1 tells us that Jesus told His disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us repeatedly to pray without ceasing. Romans 12.12 12, Ephesians 6.18, Colossians 4.2, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. So the practice of prayer isn't optional for us. While praying through a list might feel stilted at first, it can serve us well as we train our thoughts to be still for prayer. If you need help focusing in order to pray, a list can help you do that. This exercise of discipline will help in engaging our hearts and our minds as we meet with God. Eventually, it will help us to move from prayer being difficult 
to it being a joy, from duty to delight. Prayer isn't about God intervening to change people or things around us. It's more about bending our will to His. A.W. Tozer said, what the praying man does is to bring his will into line with the will of God so that God can do what he has all along been willing to do. Laboring in prayer is definitely a labor. It's hard and sometimes it feels fruitless, but the labor is never fruitless. Prayer is a means by which God chooses to work out His good purposes. It helps us to see just how little our faith is and how big our God is. Prayer keeps us coming back to Him over and over and over. Praying for ourselves and others removes the cataracts from our dim vision and enables us to see a little clearer that God is both sovereign and good. Prayer helps us to have confidence in that sovereign goodness when the circumstances don't seem to change. Prayer will help us to endure. Scripture and prayer are gifts God has given to us to help us to persevere if we will abide in them. That faithfulness may look like sacrificing an extra hour of sleep, or it might be turning off the TV an hour earlier than usual. Our faithfulness to run this race, our discipline as runners will cost us but the benefits are eternal and beyond compare. Another gift that God has given us to help us endure is his church. The regular teaching of and feeding on the word of God in the community of the church is another thing that protects us from swerving from the truth. The very thing that we talked about as the cause for Humanios and Philetos shipwrecking their faith in 2 Timothy. There is necessary accountability within the church that we don't find anywhere else. That accountability is critical for right doctrine, critical for keeping us on the running track, not off-roading on our own. The church and the accountability found therein is vital it's vital in helping us hold fast to the truth of the gospel. If you're not already there, turn back to Hebrews, to chapter 10. Verse 19 begins one of our hortatory passages. Now again, remember the looking back aspect of these. We read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And then in verse 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So, because Jesus has opened up access to God 
through his blood sacrificed for us and because Jesus is our high priest, okay, there's our look back, then because these things are true, verses 22 and 23, let us draw near and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering, standing firm, persevering. There's the action and the moving forward. Verse 24, and again, because of what Jesus has done and who he is, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So looking back to all that Jesus has done on our behalf, the author of Hebrews encourages us to consider how to spur one another on to love and good works, to not neglect meeting together, but to encourage one another. And he exhorts us to do these things all the more as we look forward to the day drawing near and to the finish line of our race. We look to Jesus and we move forward. We keep running and we do it together. God never intended us to run alone. I want to address several things from these verses in Hebrews 10, but let's start with not neglecting to meet together. What does that mean for us? Well, we could translate it, don't stop gathering with the church regularly. This race that we've been called to run isn't meant to be a solo effort. Yes, each one of us runs our own race the one marked out for us, but we are to function in community, encouraging, supporting, challenging, and building one another up as we run. If we try to go it alone, we go against God's design and his provision for us. He has given us the church, relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to help us to keep running. Those who persevere to the end show their faith to be true and authentic. One of the ways that we can demonstrate our lasting commitment to faith in Christ is to be willing to keep showing up, to be faithfully plugged in to a local body of believers running our races together. We need our siblings in Christ and they need us. We need the church. Why should the church be important to us? Well, like prayer, it's of supreme importance to Christ, so it should be important to us. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.25 that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might present to him so that he might
present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do we dare devalue what Christ so cherishes? In Ephesians 2.19, Paul says, he calls the church the household of God, or God's family. If we truly love God, we should love his family as well and want to be with them. How important is our fellowship in the local church when it comes to our endurance? Let me answer that question by sharing a story that some of you may have heard before. A minister was concerned about the absence of a man who had normally attended services. After a few weeks, he decided to visit him. When the pastor arrived at the man's home, he found him all alone, sitting in front of a fireplace. The minister pulled up a chair and sat next to him. But after his initial greeting, he said nothing more. The two sat in silence for a few minutes while the minister stared at the flames in the fireplace. Then he took the tongs and carefully picked up one burning ember from the flames and placed it on the hearth. He sat back in his chair, still silent. His host watched in quiet reflection as the ember flickered and faded. Before long, it was cold and dead. The minister glanced at his watch and said he had to leave. But first, he picked up the cold ember and placed it back in the fire. Immediately, it began to glow again with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. As the minister rose to leave, his host stood with him and shook his hand. Then, with a smile on his face, the man said, Thanks for the sermon, Pastor. I'll see you in church on Sunday. The church is vital to our endurance in this race. But the church is more than just meeting together once or twice a week. It's being intertwined in one another's lives. Looking back at verse 24, we are to stir up one another and to encourage one another. Those two words, one another, they're derived from a single word in the Greek. And the word is alelon, and it means one another, as in mutually or reciprocally. It's a two-way action. This Greek word occurs a hundred times in the New Testament, and more than 50 of those occurrences are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Obedience to these commands forms the basis for Christian community and has a direct impact on our witness to the world. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. All of the other one another commands really flow out of that love. In addition to Jesus' command that we love one another, we're commanded to be devoted to one another, to live in harmony with one another, to honor one another, to build up one another, to admonish one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, 
to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to submit to one another, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to stir up one another in a good way, to pray for one another, and to confess our faults to one another. And there are more. But how can we effectively obey and live out these commands if we're not faithfully committed to a local body? We must know one another beyond the superficial if we're going to bear one another's burdens, if we're going to build up each other, if we're going to admonish one another when it's necessary. These commands are for our good and the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ and for our witness to the world around us. Being together as the church is how we grow in relationship and in obedience to these commands. We find two of these commands right here in our passage in Hebrews 12. The first in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, followed by encouraging one another in verse 25. The word consider in verse 24 means to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon. And again, it's in the present tense in the Greek, which means it is a continuous action. We are to deliberately, continually think upon how we might stir up others within the church. Now this stir up is not in a sense of causing trouble, but of motivating or spurring one another on to love and good works. Now note that the author of Hebrews doesn't say, meet together so the pastor can stir you up to love and good works and encourage you. One another means that every believer can and should encourage, exhort, admonish, and even rebuke other believers to press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To fight the good fight. The good fight of faith. To run the race with endurance. We're told in Hebrews 3 verses 13 and 14 to exhort or encourage one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We need to encourage each other daily to hold our original confidence firm to the end. That is perseverance. We each play a role in the perseverance of our brothers and sisters in Christ. John Piper has an interesting comment on this passage, writing that stirring up one another, he says, is the focus for your life. Here is what you aim at from morning till night as a Christian. Notice carefully, it is not what you might expect. It is not consider how to love each other and do good deeds. That would be biblical and right, but it's different. 
Consider how to stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Focus on helping others become loving people. Aim at stirring up others to do good deeds. And of course, the implication would also be that if others need help and stirring, we do too. And so we would be aiming at what sorts of things we can think and feel and talk and act that will stir each other up to love and to do good deeds. The aim of our lives is not just loving and doing good deeds, but helping to stir up others to love and to good deeds. Solomon alludes to this idea of the one anotherness that the writer of Hebrews is calling his readers to pursue. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 and 10. We put ourselves in danger when we try to run the race outside the safety of connectedness with the church and other believers. There is safety in numbers. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8 that our adversary in this race prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Lions stalk their prey. They will hide themselves watching a herd of animals looking for the one that gets separated from the rest of the herd. Then the lion moves in. The other animal is defenseless against the lion when the rest of the herd is too far away to provide any protection. When we try to go it alone, we're like that animal separated from the rest of the herd. We make ourselves an easy target for the adversary to attack and devour us. We cannot endure alone. God has given us his word, prayer, and the church for our perseverance, our instruction, our protection, our discipline, our very lives. If we will be faithful to him through these things. Life in Christ takes effort and commitment and sacrifice. Faithfulness to Christ requires dying to our own desires every single day and submitting them to what pleases God. Glenna Marshall sums this up really beautifully. Faithfulness requires that we construct our days around the disciplines of Bible reading, prayer, and investment in the body of Christ rather than fitting those things in when we can. Like anything that blossoms and produces fruit, faithfulness requires daily sustenance to grow. If you want to ensure that you'll still be reading your Bible and carving out time to pray each day 10 years from now, then you must begin making it a daily practice now. If you want to make certain that you don't drift from the church when you're older, then make sure you're invested in the body of Christ now. Today's efforts aren't just for today. They're for tomorrow and next week 
and next month and five years from now. If you want to guarantee that you don't swerve from the truth someday, build your life around practices that keep you connected to Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Let's pray. Oh, great God, you truly do give the best gifts. Your word, prayer, the church, but most of all, Lord, eternal life through your Son, our Savior. Thank you, God. May we not neglect any of these precious gifts. Help us to see them as you intend them for us, not as items on a never-ending to-do list, but as sweet treasures from your hand to help us to persevere, to endure to the end of our race. Our sustenance comes from you, Lord, and we are so grateful for that constant provision. Lord, would you help us to discipline ourselves through the study of Scripture, through our time in prayer with you, and through our involvement and devotion to our church and the family that you have provided for us there. Empower us, Lord, to help one another to run well to encourage those around us to keep running. Lord, may we be faithful with what you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.